pray that, God, we would seek you um, and know that you have a life abundant for us. Lord, we trust you this morning. I trust your spirit is at work even now, Lord, through the music, through the songs, Lord, as we sing of redemption and of your love, God, I pray that those things would penetrate our hearts. This morning, Lord, we would give ourselves fully to you and fully to your word, believing and trusting, Lord, having faith that you have spoken and that we don't have to walk in darkness, but we have the light of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Thank you for coming this morning. All those who decided not to leave for Labor Day weekend. And uh, if you didn't go to First Wednesday this past week, it was uh, an awesome time talking about reconciliation. And as I sat in the back over on this side, thinking, oh, who do I need to be reconciled to? Um, Nobody in particular came to mind. Of course, my wife always comes to mind, but you always have to ask forgiveness of the person you live with <laughs> all the time, right? Because there's always things that, that you think or say or do that, that just uh, not right. But this morning, um, we're going to take a little sidetrack from the Gospel of Mark, not too far away, in the Gospel of John, as Chris read from John 10.10. Uh, one of the favorite verses of many. And, of course, this 10.10 follows the account of the man born blind in chapter 9. If you're familiar with that story, there is this man born blind. The, the disciples are asking, why is this guy born blind? Is, is it his sin? Was it the sin of his parents that got him into this situation? And, and Jesus says, no, it was for the glory of God that he has uh, been born blind so that the works of God would be displayed in him. And, of course, Jesus heals him. And the Pharisees that we've spoken of a lot, they didn't like um, what this man had to say about Jesus. They, in fact, rebuked him for his belief in him and saying that he was a prophet and, uh, and, and really um, being mar- the blind man being marveled at them that they didn't, they didn't embrace who Jesus was. And so... Uh, Jesus gives this scalding rebuke, really, to the Pharisees, because that's who he's talking about here. The uh, thieves and the robbers are the Pharisees. They're the ones who are barring the way to abundant life to everyone around them, because um, as, as uh, the scriptures tell us, those who are, are religious, they don't love the law of God. They find ways to get around it, and then they add to it more and more um, rules so that no one can keep them and so that they can keep them their own power over you and the fear of them rather than the fear of God. But Jesus does say that he came to, to give us abundant life. And, and maybe you're like me. Uh, there have been times when I've read that in the, in the past and even now in the present when I, I think to myself, what is it? like what what should this feel like to have abundant life and and is it primarily a feeling and i don't think it is um because a lot of times i think about abundant life and i think maybe it should be easy right or at least not painful 
at least not something that makes you suffer. But what does it mean? What does it mean to have abundant life? And, and how, do we, how do we embrace that? And, uh, and how do we see in the Scriptures that they promise us these things and we can know that they're true? And so this morning, I, I wanted to frame this sermon a little differently. I really struggled with that, but I decided to, to kind of um, take the Scripture again. Again, the Scripture's a story. So all these, um, all these stories in the Scriptures, all these things that happen, they're connected to each other. And so I wanted to connect these different sayings about life. And uh, you might be familiar with them, the breath of life, right? You've heard of that. The word of life, and then moving to the book of life, and then finally to the tree of life. And when I, I looked longer and harder at these images, I believe that they, they really answer the big questions of life. And if we can answer those questions, they, that really takes the fear, or at least more of the fear, out of our lives. And, uh, and I think, again, that those those uh, images display for us, embody in them the origin, uh, the meaning of life, morality, and destiny. And, and I hope to, to maybe sustain that for you this morning and, uh, and help you to see that. And so if we can embrace those, the truth of, of the Word of God, that it speaks plainly to what brings abundant life, and as we have confidence in what God has spoken I believe we will have that abundant life. So let's begin first um, with the breath of life. Let me pray first. God, I, I do trust that your word is true and that it is able to instruct us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness, Lord, and that you will make us fully equipped for every good work, God. We trust you with this word this morning. In Jesus' name. Let me begin with Genesis 2-7 there. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature, Genesis 2, 7. In this account of, of creation, of course, this chapter follows um, the kind of general account of creation. God creates all things, the heavens and the earth and the, and the animals and, and humans, and of course, making them in his, in his image. But here he... He gives us a more personal view in chapter 2 of how he personally cares for man and, and forms him from the dust of the earth and breathes into him his being and that he is different from everything that God has made and is able then, therefore, to reflect God in a greater way. And so he has greater responsibility to be God's representative in the world. But right away, sin comes in to the world. And God allows for a choice from man. And somehow, it seems that the Scripture says man dies right there. Even though physically he didn't die, he died. His spirit died and in relation to God. Somehow that connection was lost. And there was a separation. Now there was shame. Whereas before, the man was naked and unashamed, now he's ashamed of himself and has to hide from God, fears him and his holiness. And somehow the presence of God is a reminder to man of our sinfulness. 
And we see that in the, in the prophets as they are confronted with God. The presence of God. They fear Him and tremble before Him because the first thing they sense is their unholiness before the presence of God. The sin comes in. The breath of life is put to death. And so man is unable again to respond to God. God curses the world and everything in it because of man and because of of the consequences of that curse that man brought into the world. So as we look at that first image of life, abundant life, who am I? Where did I come from? Why is the world the way it is? It is the way it is because God cursed it in response to the disobedience of man and his refusal to obey God, to seek God, to put God at the center of his life. And in fact, desired to be God himself and decide for himself what is good, what is evil. And so ushered in evil to the world. But God didn't leave us there, though. Right. He didn't leave us in that state. He began to speak the word of life into. Our lives. In Genesis 3.15, of course, he gives a promise there. There will be a savior. There will be a way in which I will connect back with you. You will be able to be again. Mine. Be reconciled to me. Of course, the word of life isn't mentioned there specifically in Genesis, but I, of course, Paul mentions it. John speaks of it. But I believe that word of life is contained in the promise there. The Life is found in the promises of God, right? God makes the promise to Adam, to Eve. There will be a savior. There is a way to be reconciled. And he makes that promise again. He makes promises to Noah. And to Abraham, to Joseph, to Moses, to all the prophets. I promise you. Seek my face. And there will be. A savior, there will be a way to connect back with me. And of course, there is the whole history of the sacrificial system and all the things that God implemented there. But abundant life is found in, in God's word. And, and he began to speak that word very plainly to the children of Israel as he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And he promised them abundant life. So I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. In verse 15 and 16, it says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments, his statutes, his rules. Then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are going to possess. So here we have a clear promise from God. If you do this, then this will come about. That if you place me at the center of your life, if you love me, and if you demonstrate that love by obeying me, then you will have life. You will have life abundant, life full. What is the meaning of life? It is to know God and that you are made for him, for his glory and not your own. And as you embrace that and, and walk in his ways. 
And of course, the epitome of that is the Ten Commandments, so plainly given to us. Right? God says that, that because I brought you, I delivered you from slavery out of Egypt, therefore you should worship me and place me first in your life. Place me as, as the priority of life because I rescued you from slavery. That's what Christ has done for us. If you're a believer in Christ, Christ has rescued you from the slavery of sin. From the evil that would destroy you. That would take your life. And God says in the second commandment, be careful. Because there will always be some idols there to capture and want to take your love from me. Other desires that seem at the moment so much more pleasurable. And many times they are. That, that pleasure for the moment seems to take our eyes off the joy of eternity. The joy and the peace that God gives to us. When the sinful pleasure is enjoyed, the joy is lost in the midst of it. And that pleasure never lasts. The pleasure always fades and leaves one empty. And so God says, don't trust in idols. Trust in me. The third commandment, God says to fear me, right? Don't use my name in any way you want. Don't disrespect me in front of others. Represent me to this world. Fear the Lord your God. Use my name with reverence and awe in the presence of others. Fourth commandment, rest in me. Rest. God has given us rest as a blessing. That sleep is a way of restoration for the body. But how can you sleep without the peace of God? To rest in what the Savior has done is the ultimate rest. That the, the rest that God gave before to the children of Israel was just a shadow. A shadow of what he would do in Jesus as Christ came and gave us rest. And then the, and then the commandments turn to us, right? They speak of authority and, and our love for one another. Do we submit to the authority that's been placed over us? Do we love one another or do we hate our brother? Are we not reconciling as we spoke of earlier in the week and as the Bible speaks of? And so here is the word of life. Right? God's, God's commandments are not, are not there to keep us from life, but to give us life. Right? That our, our joy may be complete is a hedge of protection from what is evil, from what looks good, but is not good. And God desires that our joy would be complete within his commandments. And he gives us, of course, embodies for us the word of life in the person of Christ himself. Comes to demonstrate life to us, to live a life 
before us as one who trusts God, loves God, and as we see Jesus' compassion, His love for others. And as we embrace that word of life, not just the Scriptures itself, but the person who embodied it, the Bible says our names will be written in the book of life. And so, in the breath of life, we have our origin. In the word of life, we have our meaning. In the book of life, we have judgment. What is right? What is wrong? Will evil be dealt with? Revelation twenty twelve says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books, according to what they have done. So at the end of time, gather, God will gather all people. And He will judge according to what they have done. So nothing will be a secret anymore. Everything will be laid bare before the one who sees the intentions of men's hearts. And who judges the secret thoughts of men. There are many things we can do in this life, but only God knows the motive and the intention of the heart. Man cannot know that. And those who love the word of life and live for the word of life will forever rejoice in that great love. The great love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Right there will have no condemnation, no fear of that judgment day. But again, that book of life reminds me of, of morality, of, of life that is to be seen through God's eyes. He is the one who is able to tell us what is good, what is evil. We can't make that up for ourselves. So as we look at the world and we see the injustice, we see our brothers and sisters in Syria executed and many refugees and and even here in in the United States with with all the chaos of the killings and and uh, who will reconcile all these things who will make these things right there's injustice in the world God can't you see that why don't you do something about it and so the book of life reminds us that God is not blind to what's going on He has set a day that He will judge the world. He will judge the secret thoughts of men. He will have everything laid out. And I'm confident that that day I will see that God did everything perfectly. And that He was faithful to the end. And so there's nothing wrong with crying out to God and saying, God, how long as the saints cry out in in Revelation? How long, God? How long will the innocent perish? How long will evil continue to reign? Seemingly reign. But God gives us the answer. Judgment is coming. Pray for those who don't trust me. Speak to those who don't know me. Help them to see that there are thieves and robbers who would steal abundant life from them. 
but the Son has come that they may have life and life to the full. And not only that, there is a destiny. There is the tree of life. The tree of life, of course, is found in that last chapter of Revelation. And it says there, Revelation 22, 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. So the robes of the saints are washed, and they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb who is the word of life, and they will have access to the tree of life. In the garden, we were denied that access. The tree was there to be taken from, but Adam and Eve took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so were banned access to the tree of life, lest they live forever. So in Christ, we're promised forgiveness, access to the tree of life, reconciliation to the Father by the power of the Spirit. To know that we have a destiny, there is a destiny. We came from somewhere. Life does have meaning. There is right, there is good, there is evil. And there is a future, a destiny. I remember reading from a woman who uh, came to faith in Christ and, and she says, you, you don't know the fear that I had before I knew who God was. Before I surrendered to Him and His Word. The fear of, of trying to make myself acceptable to others, be successful. But maybe you have those same fears, and yet you don't understand that God has a destiny for you. And that is in the Son. And that you'll be in the holy city. And that you'll partake of that tree that that is for the healing of the nations, that all mankind will be reconciled through the blood of Christ. And so that abundant life, as we embrace it in, in who we are, what is life about? How can I know what is good, what is evil? And how can I know my destiny, where I'm headed in this life? And Jesus Live that abundant life, right? He, he knew the story. And really, that's the story that I'm telling you this morning. He, he came as a climax to that story. Came to affirm that we are made in God's image and that God does care for us enough to become a man. Enough to take on flesh. And we're the ones who deserve His wrath. And yet God reaches out with love for us and promises abundant life. Abundant life as we, again, embrace our image. We're made for God, by God. We are made to walk in His ways and not our own. And that we can know Him through His Word. We can be blessed 
to have that protection and also have a life that is rewarded by Him. And for all eternity, those who embrace that Savior of their lives will have abundant life. So do you feel abundant life right now? You may not feel it, but God has offered it. God has given in His Word the story that is able to be comprehended, that is able to be brought together and understood. And so as you meditate on the Word, as you give yourself to the Savior, you will have abundant life. pray for you. God, we trust that your word is true. And Lord, that you have spoken. And that Jesus himself embodied abundant life, God, help us to trust your word. To trust that we are made for your glory, God. That Lord, we desire to honor you with this life. Keep us from evil, Lord. Deliver us from the evil in this world. Give us hope for the future. Help us trust in you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would implant your word in our hearts and that we would trust you with all things. In Jesus' name, amen.